We're going to continue in our study and our journey, really, through the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, going to be in chapter 27 this morning. I was uh, blessed to be in Virginia this week for a couple of days to spend some time with family and spend some time with my parents who were trying to figure out, Lord, how do we help them in this season of life and, and uh, figure out how to give them the assistance they need. They are uh, facing the challenges of this season that they're in and appreciate your prayers as they and we navigate uh, these changes and these challenges. But we're blessed to have Mr. Michael Beasley, who's going to share the word. And as you come up, Michael, why don't we just pray for him? Thank you, Father. We just uh, appreciate, Lord, this opportunity this morning to hear from your word to uh, Lord, hear a word that of encouragement that Michael says he, he believes that you are speaking through this Acts 27. Lord, I pray that he would speak the word of the Lord uh, with grace and in mercy and with boldness. Lord, that he would share the, the truth of your word and that you, through the power of your spirit, would just anoint him to share it. And that you would anoint us, Lord, to hear it, to hear what you would have to say to your church this morning, in this season, at this time. Father, thank you again that you have preserved your word for these 2,000 years since Luke wrote these words down. By your grace, Lord, we have it here before us. And we, as the people of God who are experiencing your faithfulness in this, a different generation, can hearken back to how you were faithful in that Amen. generation, Lord. And it inspires us to trust you and believe you for how you're going to work in our lives and in this culture, and in our neighborhoods, and our families, and homes, Father, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, let it be. Amen. 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 Good morning. Good morning. Uh, like my father said, we're going to be in Acts 27 today. And I wanted to open up uh, the scripture today, uh, reading from Hebrews 12, verse 1, to start. But if you have your Bibles or your phones open to Acts 27, that's what we're going to be. Um, but Act, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12.1. Let us lay aside every encumbrance everything that holds us down and the sin which so easily entangles us, let's throw that off and let's run. Today's message is entitled, Abandon the Anchors and Set Sail. And we're going to be reading from Acts 27. And last week, when we began the chapter, we read that Paul was being sent to Italy. So he had stood before Agrippa he appealed to Caesar, so he's headed to, to Rome, to Italy, and he's accompanied by a Roman soldier named Julius and his soldiers. And we read that their journey was slow, and it was fraught with difficulty, and we're going to see more difficulty today later in the chapter. But in the middle of that, that storm, Paul stands up and he warns them. He says, this is going to be dangerous. I'm warning you guys. So he stood up to be both a voice of warning but also of encouragement, lifting them up, saying, be of good courage. He warned Julius, the centurion, that he had an inkling that the trip was going to result in damage and great loss to the cargo and even their lives. <coughs> but Julius, the centurion, was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain. So they set sail, they run into this storm, and the big lesson we learned is when storms and hardships come, 
be willing to stand up in confidence and in grace and be that voice of warning, but also encouragement. Engage the culture. We're going to talk a little bit about what it means to really walk with somebody today and be that voice of encouragement and what that means. But last week we saw Paul be a voice of warning and encouragement. And today we're going to pick it up right after Paul gave them that word of encouragement. And in this text, we're going to see how God preserved not only Paul, but everyone around Paul in the ship. And today's message, like we said, is abandon the anchors and set sail. And I didn't prepare you to read, Dad, but do you mind reading, if you could? We're going to be in Acts 27, starting in verse 27. Um, reading through till the end of the chapter. But when the 14th night came, microphones muted. Well, someone can turn on. Thanks, Tom. I'll read till verse 32. Feel free. There we go. There you go. I'll I'll take it. But when the 14th night had come, as we... Now, this is Luke that's writing this. Luke was on the ship. So Luke is speaking in the first person. But when the 14th night came, we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little further on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. They were getting closer to land. So they were in the sea. They were getting closer to land. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, we have no, unless these men remain in the ship, sorry, you yourselves cannot be saved. Continue. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today's the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating and have taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is your preservation. For not a hair from your head of any of you will perish. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. And he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach, but striking a reef, Where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. 
But the, the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. <clears throat> Amen. So we're going to break this down into three sections here. There are three paragraphs in this passage. Um, so we're going to start off with verses 27 through 32. And so this part, I just called it cut off the boat. So let's just zoom out for a minute. Let's get kind of the lay of, land, lay of the land, see where we're picking this up from. So Paul finds himself, along with his companion Luke, who's writing this account. They're headed to Rome. Again, they met with Agrippa, headed to Rome, and they end up on a cargo ship, which is sailing from Egypt to Rome. It's transporting wheat and grain. It's this import ship has a lot of wheat, and it's headed for Rome. And soon after the crew launches into the sea, against Paul's warning, they run into this storm. He says, you should have listened to me in the first place, but he does so in grace and in humility with a word of encouragement. And he says in verse 22, earlier in the chapter, keep your courage for there will be no loss of life among you, only of the ship. And as we pick it up this week, we read that they've been out to sea for two weeks They've been tossed and turned, and this storm is stressing them out. This boat has been swinging back and forth early in the chapter. They're trying to get the boat to just stay together. They started rationing their food. They haven't eaten for two weeks. And now the crew is trying to escape. Verse 29 tells us that the crew was afraid that they would run aground out at sea. So what does the crew do? We have these three groups of people. We have the Roman centurion with all of his soldiers. We have the crew, which is the pilot, and then all of his crew members. Then we have the prisoners. So that middle group, the crew, they're the ones that are piloting the ship. They're trying to escape. That would be like a pilot, an actual pilot, jumping out of a plane and leaving the passengers to figure it out. That's what's happening here. And so it says in verse 30, the sailors were trying to escape from the trip, from the ship, and had let the ship's uh, boat sink into the sea on the pretense, they were pretending, of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. They're faking. They're trying to do this big fake out and escape. They're like, we're going to go set up these anchors. The crew gave up. They tapped out. They were looking for a way out of the storm. And they were about to leave the ship and everyone in it out at sea. Now, have you ever relied on somebody who you thought was going to bring you through the storm, but they ended up bailing out when times got tough? Have you ever put your hope in a man or a woman and thought, surely they'll follow through with what they said that they were going to do, and yet they leave you stranded in the middle of the storm? We don't put our hope in man. If you're putting your hope or your trust in man, they're going to let you down at some point. I don't care who it is. How many of us have been disappointed by a preacher or some scandal or we've put somebody on a pedestal? We said, surely, yeah, I get it. You know, other people have issues, but not him. He's above reproach. And then you find out that something has happened. At some point, whether it's a boss, a political leader, a pastor, a preacher, a husband, a wife, someone's going to let you down. 
So our hope and our security is not, our anchor is not in man, is not in the crew. Our anchor is safe in only one place. And it's exactly where Paul set his hope. And he tells us exactly where his hope is set in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He writes to the Corinthians, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we, even, we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Set your hope on God, not on the crew, not on the people around you. Don't set your hope on man. Don't fear man. Set your hope in God. Trust him fully. He can handle it. He can bear the weight of your trust. He will not fail. And we see here at the very end, his word is true. What he told Paul is exactly what happened. Now, I wonder how Julius, the centurion, is feeling right now. He made a decision to listen to the, Paul, to the pilot rather than Paul earlier in the chapter. And he made this decision. We're going to set sail against Paul's warning. And now the very guy into whom he put his trust, the pilot, is looking to bail. So now, Julius says... Okay, let's listen to Paul now. And so what does he do? Well, the next thing that happens, we kind of gloss over, but it's kind of a crazy thing. He has them cut away the boat, the rescue boat. Now, earlier in the chapter, that boat, it was flying all over the place. They were trying to like wrestle it down to get it to, I almost wonder if Julius was like, get that godforsaken boat out of here. It's causing us problems. They're trying to escape from it. Cut it away and go. That's their rescue boat. There are 276 people on this cargo ship, and the only rescue boat, he just let it, it was fine, but he just let it off into the sea. He's taking direction from Paul now. So, Paul makes no bones about who he is or where he's coming from. He says that he's taking directions from an angel, that he belongs to God and serves him, and that he believes that God is going to save them. The Roman centurion bought it. He believed him. And now he's listening to this God-fearing prisoner. The highest-ranking individual on the ship is now listening to the lowest ranking individual. So Julius's trust is no longer in the crew. He's putting his trust in the words of this prisoner who said that he heard something from an angel and believed God is going to come through. And he decides to put his money where his mouth is, is and cuts off the boat and lets it fall away. And this is another just observation that I just can't help but seeing here. God can give you influence where you wouldn't ordinarily expect it. He can put you in positions to influence and, and make changes and stand up in confidence, not in yourself, not in yourself, but in him, because he can do far abundantly more beyond anything that you can even think of. He knows the things that haven't even crossed your mind yet. He knows the situations that are going to happen that you haven't even thought of. 
And the position that he might put you or somebody around you in, it might not be a flashy one. It's the whole prison versus palace thing. Was, was Paul in, in prison or was he in the palace? I don't know. It seems like right here he's the one that's calling the shots and he's the lowest guy on the ship. And I just can't help but see it all over the scriptures. Look at Joseph. Look at Moses. Even the fact that Jesus was born in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I'm just utterly convinced that God is willing, able, and ready. And if there's something that I'm feeling in my spirit, is that he's ready to do more than you can possibly imagine if you will just cut the boat off. What's in your boat? I feel like asking, what's in your wallet? (laughs) Is it money? Is it freedom? Is it success? What's the thing? What's the boat that's flying all over the place that you have to just like... Is it in dead religion? Do you find security in knowledge? Where have you set your hope? Psalm 16.8 says, Lord, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Be willing to lay aside the false comforts. Cut them off completely. Be willing to cut off the boat. And I would encourage us right now to reflect on what is in our boat and be willing to let it go and be filled with the spirit instead of fear. And I want to encourage us now to consider that. What's something that we're hanging on to? And as we go into the second portion of the scripture here, starting in verse 33, We're going to talk about how they toss the cargo next. So first the boat is gone. Now the cargo is about to go with it. Verse 33, until day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. Where were Paul's eyes? On the storm or on the Lord? Where were the sailors' eyes? On the storm or on the Lord? The one whose eyes are on the Lord can encourage the ones whose eyes are on the storm. Let me say it again. The ones whose eyes are on the Lord can encourage those whose eyes are right here. In verse 33 and 34, we see this word encouraged in the NAS, uh, NASB. Um, encouraged two times. Two, uh, three times actually, but it's two different words. Some versions say in verse 33 that Paul was urging them, saying, I urge you. That word encourage or urge is translated from the Greek parakaleo. It means it's a verb, and it means it's something that you do. It's an action that's taken. It means to call close from beside somebody. It means you come along somebody, and you're like, hey, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. It's an encouraging friendship intimate verb. It's a thing that you do. It also connotes comfort and encouragement. And as we see here in Paul's case, it means that he came alongside them to speak words of encouragement. Remember uh, Barnabas? He was the son of encouragement. He was the son of parakaleo. Come on, we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. 
He was encouraging. He was comforting. Who could use some parakaleo in their life today? I know that I can. I see a couple of people there. Have you ever been in the middle of the storm and felt like there's no way out and someone does this? If you've been on the receiving end of this, you know what this is like. And by God's grace, I've received some of this in my life. And it is better than any gold, any success, any accolades. It's comfort. And it's encouraging. You feel like, okay, I can get through this. I'm going to give you an example of some uh, parakaleo that I had in my life a couple of weeks ago. So life is stressful, right? A lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on at once, and they all need my attention, or at least that's how it feels. <clears throat> and as a husband and as a father, there's a level of responsibility that you bear that frankly no one else can seem to bear, and that's just how it is. And sometimes you feel kind of alone and like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Any dads, husbands relate to this? I got two, three. (laughs) And it's easy to feel, feel overwhelmed or anxious in the middle of the storm. So a couple of weeks ago, I was having one of those nights and I just felt anxious, and it was visceral, and it's, it wasn't like a panic attack. I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but it was like I felt it, and I couldn't just get out of it. And I told my wife, I'm like, honey, I need to just maybe go for a drive and pray. Um, and God bless this woman. She holds down the fort when I'm having my crazy moments. <clears throat> and she looks good doing it, too, I might add. And she says, yeah, honey, go. Take some time. So it's after dinner, and I just go for a drive. So I get into the car, and I pull onto the street. And on my phones, I have like a couple of um, video clips, just like kind of saved little snippets here and there. And I pull up this clip from a pastor in Dallas. His name is Josh Patterson. Um, And he's sharing about this thing, encouraging one another. This is before I started preparing for this message. So it literally was kind of like my heart was prepared for this. And I'm listening to this message, and he's saying... I'm looking around for a way in. I'm looking for an opportunity. And what's my window of opportunity? What's the thing that I'm looking to do? It's to spur you on, brother. It's to spur you on, sister. It's to encourage you. Say, yeah, keep going. Keep going. Come on. You got it. You got it. It's in you. Come on. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So keep going. Stand up in confidence. It's in you. Let's go. Come on. Let's get it. Come on. Let's go. It's in you. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let's go. It's not a false bravado. It's not some ridiculous confidence in self. It's the truest thing about you. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let's run. Let's go. You can do it. It might hurt. 
you have everything inside of you. You have the God of the universe, the spirit of the God of the universe who wants to dwell inside of you. What else is there? What is there to fear? All I can tell you is that his words, looking at my phone in my car, were exactly, precisely what I needed to hear in that moment. And it broke me. Have you ever ugly cried before? (laughs) I ugly cried a lot longer than I'm going to admit here. I'm still drawing. I was still crying as I was typing this out. I'm still drawing from that word of encouragement. It's good. Encouragement is a good thing, and it's a needed thing, both in the church, but even more so in the world. So Paul keeps parakaleoing next to these guys. He says, hey, take some food. We're going to be okay. Not a hair of your head is going to be destroyed. Paris, thank you. Now, what happens? Verse 36. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. So parakaleo is a verb, something that you do. But it says here, all of them were encouraged. That's an adjective Euthymos, and it means well-disposed. It means of good cheer or having good courage. So from a little bit of Paul's encouragement in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, it's dark. They don't know what's going on. They just cut off their boat. They're fearful. They're worried. He's encouraging them. All of a sudden, they're of good cheer. It sounds Christmassy. They're of good cheer. They're like, all right. Now, their situation hasn't changed at all. But they've been encouraged. They're of good cheer. They were encouraged by Paul, and they bought into the idea that they would be saved if they stayed together on the ship. And so they took some food, and they started eating. And they started tossing off the cargo to lighten the ship. So here we have a lighter ship. We have lighter spirits. And they're being unburdened by things that are weighing them down altogether, emotionally, physically. That's the power of hope. When people are encouraged and have something that gives them hope, they're willing to step out and take risks. They're willing to sacrifice things that are just less important. And then verse 38 says, When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now remember we said this is a cargo ship? They're taking cargo, wheat from, or grain from Egypt, and they're going to Rome. They're sh- it's a shipping container. Like, it's, it's, that's their commodity of the day. So at first glance, it might seem like something small. Oh, they're throwing the wheat into the sea, but this is significant. Remember, this is like them throwing their inventory off the boat. It's like us taking stacks of cash and chucking it into the sea. That's what they're doing. Let me ask again. What's in your boat? What's your wheat? What's the thing that you're worried about? What's the thing that's weighing the ship down? What are you holding on to that's keeping you tethered to the sea? And if I can encourage you in anything today, it's to be willing to lay down those things that are so big in your mind and just surrender them to the Lord in earnest expectation, not just throwing it out, not just, all right, let go and just move on, like, Let go of it in earnest expectation that he's going to provide a way where it seems impossible. 
This is the life that we live. This is our family. It's our story. It's our heritage. It's our lineage. This is what Christians do. People stepping out in faith and God coming through every single time. And it doesn't mean the situation changes. Again, they were of good cheer in the middle of a storm when it was dark. It hadn't even dawned yet. And in fact, we're going to see the situation gets a lot worse before it gets better. We're going to move into this third section, verse 39. And in this last section, we can see how it's, it gets a little crazy. It gets a little wild. I actually do want to read this section here. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach. And they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. While at the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where the two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard and first get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. That's a crazy, volatile ending to a crazy story. And it almost, like, ends with, like, just kind of like, oh, by the way, they all made it safely. (laughs) They go from being encouraged and eating together. It's high. It's like, all right, we're all of good cheer. To next thing, they're talking about killing one another, and they're stuck, and the ship's getting destroyed. And I'm sure they're wishing they had that rescue boat. And I want to make three minor points here. On this section. The first thing is abandon the anchors and set sail. Without those anchors, they were truly burning the ship, as it were. There was no plan B. If Paul's plan of hoisting the sail and running aground at that bay didn't work, they easily could have been swept away into the ocean without any hope of reaching land. And then verse 40 says, casting off the anchors, they left them into this, it left them, <clears throat> sorry, casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. Let us throw, us throw off everything that hinders and run the race marked out for us. It's just the imagery that I see here. Hoisting the foresail to the wind. Their salvation was no longer in the thing that they could control. The very thing that was completely out of their control, the wind, became their salvation. And I think Luke is drawing a parallel here between their story and ours when he includes this story in his book. Just abandon the anchor and hoist the sail to the wind. Trust the Holy Spirit. The wind is this pneumos, this, this spirit. It's just a natural representation of what we're called to do in the spiritual Cast off those things, the anchors, burn the ship, whatever you're hanging on to, and hoist the sail into the wind. <clears throat> so abandon the anchors and, set, anchors and set sail. Number two, it may get worse before it gets better, and I know that that's not very encouraging. 
but it should be. In this account, we see that the ship runs aground and starts getting pummeled by the sea and ultimately starts falling apart. And then the soldiers looking to save their own skin, they don't want to get executed because they let these prisoners escape. They're going to show up to Rome and these prisoners escape. They're going to, they're, their life is on the line. So they said, you know what, Let's, one of us is going to die. It ain't going to be me. So that's what they're looking to do. And see how this situation can take a turn for the worse in just a matter of minutes. Don't be surprised if your situation gets worse before it gets better. In the natural, we, we see how things can go, bad, go from bad to worse. But there is resolution. And this is the third point. God's word is faithful and true. And then that very last sentence there, that little, little resolution says, and so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. No pomp. No circumstance, which seems to just be the way that God does things. No need for any sort of long, drawn-out, dramatic ending. Just the simple truth. It's done. Exactly what God told Paul would happen, would happen, happened. Paul said earlier on the journey, in confidence and in grace, keep your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And Paul also said, I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. And there it is. As we abandon the anchors and set sail, we're still left with our trust. See, if we put our trust in the crew and we stop doing that, we're still left with where are we going to put this trust? This trust, our trust, our faith, it's like a thing. It's real. It's where are your eyes? Is it on the crew? Is it on the boat? Is it on the wheat? Is it on the anchor? Trust is tangible. And like we said earlier, if you're trusting in those things, you're going to be disappointed. There's only one place where your trust is fully secured and he's completely not controllable by you or me. He's not manipulatable. He's not like the market. He's not like a person. He's outside the system. And I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's description of God in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so he writes in this little scene between Susan and Lucy and the beavers. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're braver than most, or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
God isn't our get out of jail free card. He's the king, I tell you. And his word is faithful and true. In the middle of the storm, he's still in control. Those things which keep you tethered to your ship and to your storm, let them fall away into the sea. What's your wheat that you're carrying on to? What's your anchor that you're hanging on to? The sooner you can release it into the sea, the sooner you can be saved from the storm. It's so simple. Don't waste any more time hanging on to it. You can come up, Christian. Don't waste any more time hanging on to it. It's not going to save you. Be encouraged. Brothers, sisters, God will preserve you just like he preserved these guys. I've been sensing for a while that God's shifting things around. And I'm not like, it's just I've seen this. You know, people are leaving. People are moving. Different things are happening. You see changes in the market, Terrence. You can see all these different things are happening all at once. And I just see some people are, are being uprooted. Some people are being replanted. And I see God's hand of provision at work. And I believe he's putting people in positions. It might seem to the world like a prisoner position. But God's strategic. And God can use literally anything in any one of you to do anything. I believe that God wants to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And I think he wants to blow our minds with what he can do. That's genuinely what I see. I don't know what storms are ahead. But I want to paracoleo each of you that whatever that storm is, you're going to get through it. I want to encourage you to cut off the boat. Toss the weed off the boat. It's not going to save you. Hoist the sail and fly into the wind. I also want to make an invitation for anyone who hasn't accepted Christ and doesn't know what a life surrendered to him looks like, I want to be a voice of warning and encouragement. I have to warn you that you're tethered to a ship that's ultimately going down in the sea. But I want to encourage you, if there's breath in your lungs, if you're here, and you're listening, this is your opportunity. This is the moment. Today's the day of salvation.
for all of us. He's worth trusting in. He's the king. I tell you. Don't lose hope. Instead, put your salvation fully in him. He can bear that weight like none other. He'll never fail you. He might bring you through a storm or two. But in that final resolution, they were all brought safely to land. Abandon the anchors, set sail. If everyone would stand, we're going to read from Joshua. This is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And this is God speaking to Joshua. He says, Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, I pray for your people. I thank you that your word is true and faithful. I pray that they would be encouraged that the Lord their God is with them wherever they go. I pray that you would give them the strength to abandon any anchor, any false comfort, anything that hinders and the sin that so so easily entangles us and help us all to run with perseverance the race marked out for us as we fix our eyes on you. I thank you for this precious day. Thank you for these beautiful precious, peculiar people. And we give you thanks for who you are and to the grace that you've given us. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. Abandon the anchors. Set sail. God bless.